This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The work of God's Spirit in the hearts of your children and grandchildren can have equal influence even if you may not necessarily see the fruit immediately. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading your Bibles with your kids and your grandkids. Don't stop being that godly influence because here we are 2,000 years later, just about, reading the story about an apostle who writes to a pastor who got saved because of a praying godly mother and grandmother. Don't stop praying and being a godly influence within the lives of your loved ones. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you the importance of continuing to intercede on the behalf of others, even when it seems like a person's heart will never soften. God can bring anyone to Him. Pastor Gary explains that no one is a lost cause. Keep bringing those you love to the foot of Jesus. God is listening to your prayers. He can bring whatever seems dead back to life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So for those of you who like to take notes, a little bit of information on 2 Timothy. This is a continuation of the pastoral epistles. If you were here for our study of 1 Timothy, you will remember that there are three letters that Paul writes to uh, Timothy, two letters to Timothy and one letter to Titus. Uh, These are both men in the first century who were pastors, and so Paul, as kind of the spiritual dad, is giving them some wisdom and doctrine and helping them to understand how to pastor churches and what the church should be about, what it should look like. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then the book that follows this, Titus, are all considered pastoral epistles. How how is the church supposed to be pastored? How is a church supposed to function together? This book was written by Paul about five to six years after 1 Timothy. So When we've turned the page from last week's study to today, we're advancing about five or six years. And it's important to note that something different from when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, now Paul is in prison as he writes 2 Timothy. And he's writing from a prison in Rome, and the year is around 67 AD. Um, Something also important to realize about this letter is that this is basically Paul's farewell letter. Uh, He knows that his own death is imminent. He will say at the end of this book here in chapter 4, verse 6, that he he knows that his time is near. And uh, this will then be the final letter that Paul writes. You know, of the New Testament, of 27 books in the New Testament, Paul writes uh, roughly two-thirds. And so even though you are reading through your New Testaments, and you come here to 2 Timothy and you say, well, there's, there's a lot more to go. Of course, there's some other writers left to go. We have James, we have uh, John, we have Jude. Uh, but this is Paul's last letter. So again, not everything in your Bible is in chronological order. This is the last 
letter that he will write before he dies. He knows that his time is short because something historically happened and is the reason why Paul is in prison here. In 64 AD, just a few years before Paul will be executed, and I guess I should put that last point up as well, Emperor Nero will execute him roughly 67, 68 AD. Uh, the the 4th century historian Eusebius, he writes in his writings, Chronicles, that Paul is executed by Nero in Nero's 14th year of his reign. So Nero is one of the emperors of Rome, and Eusebius, the historian, says that in the 14th year of Nero's reign, he executes Paul. Paul will be beheaded. And the reason behind this vitriol against not just Paul, but all of Christianity at this particular time is because something happened in the year 64 AD, just a few years before Paul was executed, and that is Rome burned. Now, what does that have to do with Christianity and the the eventual execution of Paul? Because Tacitus, the first century historian, says that Emperor Nero set Rome on fire. Now, there's a lot of dispute. You read history books, there's a lot of dispute. Did Nero really burn? And, and so if you remember your history in school, you know that apparently Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Well, the fiddle wasn't in, invented until afterwards, so he didn't really fiddle. He, he might have, you know, I don't know, played the banjo or some other hick instrument. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that, that's my bias coming out there. But anyhow, whatever he did or didn't do, Tacitus, first century historian, says Nero set... Rome on fire because Nero had wanted to do a whole rejuvenation project in Rome. This whole renovation, a whole new, you know, fixer-upper project. He wanted it to go across HGTV and the whole deal. And and the Roman Senate knocked it down, said that's too much money. We're not going to refurbish and renovate Rome. So Tacitus, the historian, says, so Nero, maybe himself not, but he had somebody light Rome on fire. Ten out of the 14 precincts of ancient Rome were destroyed. So there had to be a renovation project. But Christians became a scapegoat for why Rome burned. Nero blamed it on the Christians. And as a result, they not only were blamed for Rome burning in 64 AD, they were persecuted for it. They were rounded up and they were imprisoned, they were martyred, they were tortured. You, you read history, Nero was um, a pretty wicked emperor, and he even would dip Christians alive in tar, and then he would light them on fire as torches in his garden. So this kind of persecution is happening. Now, this is an important backdrop to what we're about to read here, because four times Paul's going to use, in four chapters, he's going to use the word suffering. Uh, because when we talk about suffering, as, as I'll, I'll restate this, we have no idea what suffering for Christ is. Not here. Not in America. Not in the comfort of Loudoun County, for sure. We have no concept whatsoever. But when this letter is being written, as the last letter that uh, Paul pens by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is tremendous persecution against Christians happening. And Paul gets rounded up as part of, as part of that persecution, and he gets thrown in prison uh, where he is here and where he will then, uh, he'll never get out, he'll eventually then be executed by Nero. 
And a little bit further about his conditions, he is being kept in what is historically referred to as the Mamertine or the Mamertine prison in Rome, and it was originally a cistern. So it was just a huge hole in the ground, had no windows, it was subterranean, and it had a, um, a cover over the hole, and they would lower prisoners into the hole, and they would lower food for the prisoners, uh, but, but that's his condition, and it's basically a dungeon, and he is in chains. So, you know, I don't know why you have to put, the guy's already, you know, below ground in a hole. I don't know why you have to also chain him, but just as extra security, he's in chains. And he refers to his chains in chapter 2, in verse 9, in verse 8, actually, backing up. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, verse 9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And... Chapter 4, verse 13, uh, tells us at the end of his letter, he makes a request to Timothy. He says, can, can you uh, bring my cloak? Uh, because the conditions of where he is being imprisoned are damp and cold. So he even requests, can you bring me a coat? So he's, he is suffering for the gospel. He's imprisoned. He's in this cold, damp, windowless prison, just an abandoned cistern. And he's going to live out his few days left in this prison, and then he's going to be pulled out and executed. So that also gives weight to this letter, doesn't it? Because I want you to think for a moment that if you knew you were about to die, it was clear to Paul, he knew it. He he just knew it was a matter of time. If you knew that you were about to die... What would be some of the last things you would ever want to say? What are some of the most important things that you would want, that you would want to put down on paper? Because Second Timothy are the final counsel of a dying man. That's what these chapters are, the final counsel of a dying man. And so it's... Not that we should, you know, consider this weightier than any other part of Scripture, but only in the sense that this is coming from the heart of a man who knows that he's dying, and what are some of the most important final parting words that you would want to say if you knew you were dying? Because that's what we have here before us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that word apostle is just one that means one sent out, by the will of God, and he adds that often in his letters. It's similar to his other letters. He he wants everybody to know this is not by the will of man or, or his own ambition, but God has called him by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul will not use that phrase, the promise of life, in any of his other letters. But again, this is coming from the pen of a man who knows he's dying. And yet he's holding on to the promise of life because he knows that my own life on this earth might come to an end. But for the Christian, death is graduation, where you are, you are moving from this world into eternity, and our, our bodies will decay again and return to the same 17 chemicals of dirt elements of dirt from which we were created, but our spirit goes to be with the Lord because of what Christ has done for us, and we will be with Him forever. That's ultimate life. That's why Paul begins this letter knowing he's dying, saying, yeah, but I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And he writes to Timothy, verse 2, 
my dear son. Now, again, Timothy's not his biological son. We covered this in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, in the intro of 1 Timothy, he calls Timothy my son in the faith. And that's the idea here. Paul is a spiritual mentor to Timothy. He's not a biological dad. He's a spiritual dad. It's good to have a spiritual dad or a spiritual mom, somebody who's older in the faith you can look up to, learn from. Paul was that kind of a person for Timothy. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience... And remember in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote about conscience over and over again, like eight times he talked about conscience. You know, it's just something that was important to him. It's, it's not just about how we live our lives in full view of people. It is how we live our lives when no one is watching. And that he would have a clear conscience is something that all of us should strive to have because we're not doing anything publicly or privately that would be inconsistent with our walk. But our belief is consistent with our behavior. That's why Paul says, I got a clear conscience. I'm one writing with a clear conscience. And he says in the rest of verse 3, as night and day, he says to Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers. You know, Paul was a praying man. And, you know, no doubt his conditions there of being in prison and having nothing else to do is, is you know, clearly a, a self-motivator for prayer. But he's a praying man. He's praying for Timothy. And he says in verse 4, recalling your tears, he says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, Paul, like any of us, uh, get joy from being close with friends and family. And Timothy was like family to him. And he's like, you know, it would bring me great joy to see you. And he recalls Timothy's tears. So apparently the last time Paul left, you know, Timothy wept. Now, we don't know, you know, maybe Timothy's tears were, I'm going to miss you. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. That would be expected. But Timothy, who knows what's going on in Timothy's heart? Because when you put together 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we're going to see here in a minute where Paul addresses Timothy's fear. Timothy's got some fears. He's got some timidity. And in 1 Timothy, Paul talks about how, you know, take a little wine for your stomach. So he's got some physical ailments. And also here in 2 Timothy, Paul's going to tell Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. And so you put all these together. It's like the picture of Timothy, you know, Pastor Timothy, he's a little afraid. He, you know, he's got some, he's sickly and sometimes he's ashamed and embarrassed about the gospel. So, you know, maybe he's crying because he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what the reason for his tears are, but Paul remembers them. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. In verse 5, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, I love this verse because it is a reminder to us of godly heritage, and in particular, the godly heritage often that comes through women. Paul commends Timothy's mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. And we know from Acts chapter 16, when Paul first encounters a young Timothy, Timothy's about 15 years of age when they first meet. 
uh, in Acts chapter 16 as part of Paul's missionary journey. First encounters Timothy, and in Acts 16, it tells us that Timothy's mother was Jewish, which means Timothy's grandmother was also Jewish, but that Timothy's dad was a Greek and not a believer. And so Timothy came to faith because of a believing, a Jewish believing mother and a Jewish believing grandmother. Now, why do I say Jewish believing? Because Jews who believe in Jesus as Messiah are believing Jews. And many Jews are coming to faith in Christ, uh, even as we speak. And God has been doing a wonderful thing to move in the hearts of Jewish people to recognize Jesus as Messiah. Uh, you know, when, when we go to Israel, uh, my, my, the tour guide that I've developed friends with now for 20 years is Ronnie Cohen. And Ronnie's testimony as a Jew is, you know, I came to faith because I, in doing these tours, I saw the love of Christians. And of course, he kept hearing Bible studies at every stop, you know, along the, along the way that pastors would teach. But his own testimony is, as a Jew, I came to faith in Jesus because I saw a tangible love that I had not seen anywhere else. And so as Jews come to faith in Christ too, just like Gentiles come to faith in Christ, and by the way, you don't stop being Jewish just because you believe in Jesus, Timothy here has this heritage that is handed down to him from his mom and from his grandmother, who are both Jewish and believers in Jesus, and he's the, the beneficiary, he's the recipient of their influence. Let me just suggest this to you. First of all, this goes two ways. Number one, how many of you are thankful for either a praying mom or a praying grandmother in your life? Let me see your hands. Amen. Look at, look at all the hands here. Praise God. Now, it goes the other direction too. And, and not to leave the guys out, but just in the context of appreciating the women in the story, don't ever underestimate if you're a grandmother or a mom, again, grandfather and dad too, don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers for your kids and for your grandkids. Because when you saw the hands that just went up a minute ago, that is the fruit of some praying mom or praying grandmother. And you, by the work of God's Spirit in the hearts of your children and grandchildren, can have equal influence even if you may not necessarily see the fruit immediately. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reading your Bibles with your kids and your grandkids. Don't stop being that godly influence because here we are 2,000 years later, just about, reading the story about an apostle who writes to a pastor who got saved because of a praying godly mother and grandmother. Amen. And he says, I'm persuaded now, this faith now lives in you because of your grandmother. I think I, I reversed their names a moment ago. Because of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded now lives in you also. And he says in verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, uh, I want to share with you, just in our time remaining, five directives that Paul specifically says to Timothy here in this first chapter. I mean, the, these, are, um, these are directives, exhortations, instructions that Paul uh, gives to Timothy that, that I want us to take personally ourselves. And the first thing that he says here in, in verse 6 is to fan into flame uh, the gift of God, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, it's unknown exactly, specifically, what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit in general? 
Because clearly in Acts 1 verse 4, Jesus even said before he ascended back into heaven, he said, wait for the gift that my father promised. And he was speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or is Paul speaking about a particular gift of the Holy Spirit? Because Paul mentions a list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there are other spiritual gifts mentioned in in other passages of the New Testament. So is he saying the gift of God, meaning the Holy Spirit in general? Is he saying a particular gift of the Holy Spirit? We, We don't really know. One thing we do know is that whatever he's talking about has gone dormant. Now, it's not necessarily that, you know, quote, he's lost it. Too many Christians get hung up on, I think I've lost it. I don't know that I have it anymore. You know, and, and we're so worried about what we've lost. Okay, don't, don't get wigged out about what you've lost. Okay, He who began a good work in you is faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is a keeping God. So don't, don't get all wigged out. I think I've lost something. If you even have the awareness of that question and wonder that, then you probably haven't. So don't fret over it. But there is, though, the reality that some things that God gives us can lie dormant. Some things that God gives us, particularly, for example, in, in the area of a particular gift, we don't use it. It can grow dormant. The power of the Holy Spirit can just lie dormant. We're not really pressing into the Lord. We're not really seeking Him. We're not really growing. And so, you know, there's a difference between the residence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in, in a person's life. The Holy Spirit, you know, when you receive the Lord Jesus, the, the Trinity's not separated. So when you come to faith in Christ, you get Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But many of you have heard this. There's a difference between you getting the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit getting you. And there is a transforming, baptizing, powerful work of God's Spirit that we also see in Scripture that is, that is this overflowing work of God's Spirit that is the empowering of God's people. And the word power, in fact, he's going he's to use the word power here. In, in the book of Acts, when you turn from the Gospels to the book of Acts, the emphasis is now the Acts of the Apostles because what they do under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit is, is amazing as a testimony of God's power. And the word love doesn't appear a single time in the book of Acts. The new word now is power, dunamis in the Greek, and we get our English word dynamite. And so there, it's possible, it's possible to have the Holy Spirit because you're saved, but not have the, that power, that dunamis, that overflowing work of God's Spirit in your life. So if it's the Holy Spirit in general or a particular gift, the exhortation here is whatever's dormant, Timothy, and this might be true for some of us, fan it into flame, blow on those embers and get that flame roaring again. Paul says, because I laid hands on you, and I, I remember how on fire you were, and right now there just seems to be the glow of the embers. But I'm calling you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There sometimes can be a fire that burns in our belly when we first get saved, and then life takes its toll and the world starts to pull us in its direction and we can kind of grow lazy in our walk with Christ and all of a sudden what used to be on fire is now just glowing embers. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. 
You've been listening to a teaching from a series in the book of 2 Timothy. In this letter from Paul to Timothy, the older missionary mentions how he has accomplished what he set out to do as a prisoner for Christ. There's contentment, even in uncertain and dire circumstances, that what he'd done to further Christ's message was enough. Paul wanted Timothy to hear these words to comfort and give Timothy a boldness to be able to proclaim the same message. Could you speak a similar message to those you're around? That what you've done for Christ would be pleasing to God? What would people say about your testimony at the end of your life? 2 Timothy is a great example of how Paul finished his life well according to God's standards. We encourage you to keep reading in 2 Timothy for more great insights from Paul to Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. Join us again next time for more in 2 Timothy here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know